0: You're now listening to Cinco Squad.
1: Oh, well, look what oh. I left up. <laughs> <laughs> Wait a minute. What's going on, everybody? I had What's to let on? everyone know that we're going to be at Maloney's on 427. Twenty-three. Wait a minute. Three weeks. We're live be, in person.
0: We're gonna be doing a live show at Maloney's. In yes, Tampa, on draft night,
1: Tampa, Florida, on draft night. Current Make current sure if in you're in Tampa, backyard,
2: in Mike's future backyard, a front yard, but, but guys, <laughs> in my side yard,
1: <laughs>
0: but guys, Maloney says three locations. Which one are we at?
1: We're at the Carolwood one off of Dale Mabry in Tampa. So we'll put everything on our socials. But, yes, we are going to be mm-hmm. at Maloney's uh 23 at 7.30 p.m. We go live. So if you're in the bar, we're going to have a lot of giveaways right inside the bar. Mm-hmm. We also have something coming up next week, so stay tuned to our socials. You won't want to miss it. If you're in the Tampa Bay area, make sure you swing by and uh, check out the amazing wings that maloney's has the, the burger area the in the
2: north tampa area <laughs> the south tampa area great bar great food great people great so he's going to be hanging with us we're going to have a great time it's going to be our first ever live gentleman a year in and we're ready to do live shows guys i know guys right? i'm, I'm psyched, a year, a I'm year psyched. Ago, like, we're just doing a podcast come on now
1: <laughs> well that's a hell of an intro right there. But. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to Single Squad. I'm Jonathan Sawyer. With me is Grandpa Jay and Mikey Mike up in the yeah, corner. So we're on the Mission 5. So um, I, No, we're not changing our name, everyone. So, <laughs> <laughs> so I hope everyone's having a great evening. Um, we are having a great week so far. Um, we got NBA, NHL playoffs coming right around the corner. We got the Masters. We got baseball. We got... College hockey on right now. Go College blue. hockey.
0: Go blue. College hockey.
1: Boys, how's your week been? Jay, Gr-
2: Grandpa Jay, how's it going this week? Wonderful. The, my, my weeks are often spent uh, <laughs> looking in the pool, sitting in an office looking in the pool, <laughs> buying things around a pool, buying things for a pool, buying things for kids in a pool. So as much as I'm a pool person, I'm a beach guy. And I get to go to the beach this Saturday, so... I'm loving what I'm doing now and I'm loving where I'm going this weekend. So on the up and up, gentlemen, how about you, Mikey?
0: You know, doing well. I can say finally the weather is actually starting to break here in the great white north next year or next week. Apparently we're supposed to be in the upper 70s. So, yeah. which is good for which is good for us in April. So, yeah. I'm excited about that. It's been a great week of sports. The New York Yankees are back, and I'm very excited about that. The Rangers are making a push for the playoffs. The Giants are doing off season stuff, which is fun. But yeah, no, I had a good week. How about you, John?
1: Yeah, not too bad. Not too bad. I've been uh, anticipating this Frozen Four game here all week. Say. So, um, as you can see, I'm repping my colors. And funny story about this this jersey is I saw it in our local hockey shop when I was, I think, 11 or 12 years old. And, yes, it still fits me um, <laughs> because I was a bigger kid. Um, but <laughs> but we had um, I – every day for seven months I would go by. I would be like, Dad, I want that jersey. Dad, I want that jersey. And then finally one day for Christmas it was gone when I went, went in there after oh. practice. And then it was under the tree. Um, my mom had bought it for me. So That's awesome. Shouts out to mom. But let's get this show on the roll. We got a special guest. We got a special guest here tonight, Dan Mason of Rochester Red Ring. So tune in in a little bit. Ask your questions in the comments. But of course we wouldn't, it wouldn't be single squad without. No, we're not. What you sipping on, Grandpa Jay?
2: No, what, what, well, you know. I'm sipping on my custom made Gatorade Botia. And it's just high quality h two o because I am a dehydrated coach right now. We just got off the deck the minute before I hopped on this show. I'm going all day, so we gotta hydrate. John, we know Mike always ends what you're sipping on. so I just got the game Mike. On today. <laughs> yeah. Mike, we're waiting all week, bro, you know we' waiting all week for what's? on. Yeah. Your, what's on your so what you first
0: of, first of all, I understand the dehydration after being around a pool because contrary to some people's belief, Pool water does not hydrate, just being in water does not hydrate you, especially when there's a lot of chlorine in there. So I can definitely speak to that from my high
2: school.
0: Yes, exactly. Mm -hmm. But for what you're sipping on, I have grabbed myself a uh, Simply Spiked Peach. What? Simply Spiked Peach.
2: What is Simply simply Spiking the Peach?
0: So I'm not exactly sure what's in it that's spiking the peach. Have you ever seen Simply Spiked Lemonade? It is similar to that. Never. Simply spike lemonade. It's like Mike's hard lemonade. So they're branching out. And now they have a peach, which as a peach iced tea fan, I am a fan of peach. Let us see how it tastes.
2: Sip away, my brother. So it should
1: just, it should just be Mike's session. You change. should
2: change it to uh, Mike's? Mike.
1: Mike, what you sipping on? Like, it should yeah. not be us too. Wow. I do,
2: I do every, do, every, every time, it's time I, it's the same. last week of what you sipping on. Next week is going to be two minutes of sippy sip with Mikey Mike. Yes. <laughs> and him doing his signature. <laughs>
0: <laughs> that is, that is good, refreshing because it legitimately just alcoholic peach juice. Is what it tastes like.
2: Oh, uh, what water never tasted better. I
0: don't know. Yeah, when you're dehydrated, water <laughs> is like. <laughs>
2: well,
1: I mean, yeah. One at, at Maloney's, we will all have a drink together, but
2: uh, because we'll and be I reunited. Would, but,
0: make sure yes. that I get the most creative drink I possibly
2: can. I'll, <laughs> ha- I'll have them think of something ahead of time. I'll yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Me yeah. and John will be present a Guinness in honor of Pat. <laughs> yeah, so, no, so have them surprise have me.
1: So, Jamie, have That's you
2: got your bets of the week locked in yet? I do have a couple of bets of the week locked in this week, gentlemen. And last week, I went 4-1. You guys were very shocked that I went baseball. My baseball picks were perfect. My one pick that wasn't perfect was the mighty Yukon Huskies absolutely yeah. doing their thing in the Final Four and in the Final Four semifinals, as they did in every game. Won by an average of twenty points every game, they obliterated the opponent. So I am going back to the diamond, gentlemen. Oh, okay. I'm going back like to the it. diamond, and I love a couple matchups this weekend. Love the Mets at home against the Marlins. Love that one. That's a one ten game tomorrow. So I got a little afternoon baseball. Okay. I I I love I love what what's who's on the mount, uh, in the uh in the Giants game. All right. Like Cobb on the Mount right now against Keller. So, I'm taking the Giants at home against the Royals. And the Tampa Bay Rays ain't losing to the Oakland Athletics, who, by <laughs> the way, are 6-0. So, I'm taking the hometown team. So, I got the Rays. I got the Giants. Mets. I got the Mets. And then we're going to go to the Hardwood. And tomorrow <laughs> night, we got some very interesting games. Yes, we do. I'm very interested in the Memphis-Milwaukee game milwaukee's a tough team to beat at home right now there's not a line for that game i think it might end up being very close to pick pick'em. i think milwaukee will compete excuse me i think members will compete but milwaukee wins that so i'm taking the bucks at home and then the other one is the sacramento kings against the golden state warriors at home i ain't going that way again gentlemen i got no faith in the warriors on the road Never taking them again on the road like I did last well, time. Not now. Yeah. <laughs> the Sacramento Kings at home against one of the worst road teams in the NBA the Golden State Warriors.
1: So you have Mets, Giants, Rays, Bucks, yes. and Kings. Yes, sir. So lock those picks in. Jamie was 4-1 last week, everyone. So take his advice. 4-1. Yes, He's 4-200 total,
0: but I'm <laughs> sure. <laughs> Is this the week we finally get a 5-0? 5
2: and Probably gonna happen, but
1: we have some comments in our section. We got oh, good old Uncle Mike, and even Mike. Trinko Swad. There we go. Cute. Cute. Under Uncle the tree Mr. or covering the tree—that's <laughs> my jersey. The A's. Yep. I agree with you. The A's can be sneaky good if they yeah. have that one year where they have a
2: ton of all-stars that no one knows about yet. So that Uncle eventually, Mike. That Uncle, eventually. Mike. Uncle Mike. Let's watch some Rays baseball, Uncle Mike. Let's not talk A's. We're talking about the iron front of the A's. Come on now, Rays. So, say it with me now, Rays.
0: He, he's a Yankees fan, so I don't know if you're getting him to say Rays.
2: Yeah, like you need to get him to not say. A's. Well, the Rays. Well, the Rays
1: do. Over my entire life. The Rays have been a thorn in the Yankees' side mm-hmm. our entire mm-hmm. life. Yep. No matter if they've been trash or not, they've always given the Yankees good games. So, yeah, I I never underestimate their talent and who they have <laughs> because you know why they've bought into their system. And when mm-hmm. you buy into your system as a player, and Jamie, as you know, as a coach, yep. when you when your players buy into one system, anything can happen. Anything yep. is, bought.
0: and they are. Possibly the best team in the league as far as managing a pitching staff. They bye just bye. constantly are putting out great pitchers That's that why I'm no so one's excited. heard of. I'm
2: so excited tonight to talk to our guest. Gentlemen, who's on the show tonight? Let them know if you just tuned in to Sports. We
1: have Dan Mason of the Rochester Red Wings. He is the general manager of the Rochester Red Wings. So He'll be joining us reasons. here in just a little bit. Yes. But first, we're going to talk about some GMs. <laughs> yeah. So this topic came up as we talk about GMs if owners in GMs see players as temporary chess pieces should we judge players for making their own personal moves outside of the goal of the organization now this came about and I know this is a long topic question but this came about as we keep seeing all these players for live getting live golf getting bashed and everything like mm-hmm. that. And I made a post earlier this week talking about how annoying it was to keep hearing about. Oh, are you going to talk to Phil? Are you going to talk to Brooks? Are you going to talk to so and so? And it's like, this is the greatest tournament in golf, and we're talking about this, this crap that's going on on the outside. Like, it's just so, boys. Grandpa Jay, how do you feel about players making their own moves for their own better good? um you know in that aspect
2: so i think the live situation is unique because they separated from the from the actual professional card that they were on which they first joined so so their dream was to be a pga player and they got that card and then all of a sudden it was like hey guys the grass is greener over here less golf less strain on your body more reward why don't you come and play for us And so this is a bigger jump-the-ship situation than most situations where it's more player leaves because they're too big for the small city. A.K.A. Kevin Durant was too big for Oklahoma City. He just was. He was too big for Oklahoma City. He had to be in a big city under the big lights because he was a huge NBA personality. so There's so many examples that we could look at in, in basketball and baseball, because right now we're talking about Shohei Otani. Yes, LA is a huge market, but is that the biggest LA market for baseball? No, like even though he's in LA already, he doesn't have the right uniform on according to most baseball aficionados. And then we look at the other flip side of a particular sport that's a little different than most, where GMs get the lone players. And that's in what you call soccer and I call football. And that's a real different situation because they loan players to other teams. So other teams pay them to have that player on their team for the year to help a a lower level team gain more status in their league or whatever it is. So that's a whole different situation where you're almost teasing the player to be like, go and test the waters. And if they want to buy you, they could buy you, but you're on loan. So you return to if, if they don't give us the offer that we want. What I really think that it's come down to is simply this. If you don't fit the system, because yep. all these sports are so systematic now, it's not like that one great player you build around. It's so seldom now we see teams building around one player. Right. It's gone to almost like San Antonio Spurs system, like Tampa Rays, Joe madam system, like baseball, it's systematic and you have to fit the script or not. So if the GMs are going to be that way, I think the players are thinking ahead to what system do I fit best? And it's weird, right? Because we saw the Kyrie trade happen and Kyrie forced that trade. And it's almost like they did a deal in a place where they knew he won't fit the system because they already had a similar player, even though he could play on the wing, right? It's almost like they tried to screw him in a sense. But I really see this now as a free, open market for everybody. The GMs don't really, to some point, try to say we need to build around X player. The rest of the roster has to be built. We're going to try and build with support. It happens now, and players feel that same way too. Hey, I'm going to jump ship. You're not building what you're not delivering what you said you're delivering for me. Katie's a typical example. I'm going to go on a team with two or three superstars and try and win a ring. I don't care if people knock me for it. I've done it in my career before. It doesn't matter. I don't take, you know, him already. He's on Twitter more than anybody. So he listens to the flack. He takes the flack. It's gone to the point now where we can no longer accept the fact that we're ever going to see a Cal Ripken. We're never going to see. Uh, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar once he became a Laker, and ne- or Kobe Bryant, I say. We will not see, and hope. I hope it's Aaron Judge. I really do. I hope he never leaves New York. But I don't think we're going to see that player that just stays home or stays in their first birthplace and they build around him for an entire career ever again.
1: Well, and I think the biggest thing ultimately, right, is you hit on the one point right there. A lot of these, you know, big fans, yes, you need a star. I think in every sport you need a star player to have a solid team, right? But you also need a solid team to have a star player, right? Mm -hmm. So those role players, like I'll go to football, for instance. Without that great offensive line for the Eagles, Jalen Hurts doesn't have the season that he has. The reason being,
2: outside of Philly though, outside of but I'm just I'm making an example. Stars though, that's the thing. Just offensive linemen are stars, but that's that's my
1: point. Is the fact that I guess we're switching and not switching, but kind of going off topic. But I mean, we like that's one one position in sports that is so underplayed is the Mm -hmm. offensive line. Without, and I've said this to you guys. Maybe you guys don't believe me, but. If you do not have a good offensive line or defensive line, you will not be a Super Bowl champion. That is clear as day. Go back, look at the Buccaneers, look at the Chiefs, look at the Chiefs, Patriots. But why did the Patriots win so much? They had a great offensive line mm-hmm. and a great defensive line. They were always top in that, in that aspect. So, yes, having the star players is great, but I think the star players, you have to have those – You know, and we'll go to basketball. You've got to have those Draymonds, those Clay Thompsons, those type of players. Because, like, they're better than role players, but they all are ultimately make the star players. So to go back to the topic that we we first brought up is do we fault players for moving? No, I don't fault them because you get only one chance at this. And why am I going to waste away my – look at Mike – okay, perfect example. Look at Mike Trout. He has given his all to the Angels organization for 12 years. Now, granted, he's been hurt. He's which is not his fault, but, a lot, but it's not his fault because he has a, a a condition that I know Mike can hit on. But he's given it everything to the Angels, and the Angels haven't given him anything back. They got Shohei, okay, and then they got Anthony Rendon, and who else? And it's like, okay, so you know, it's just it's just been consistent. Like that's an example of showing that a player is giving his all to an organization, but the organization ain't giving back. And, you know, that's something that I think is missing. So I don't fault these players for going after a ring and going teaming up with, like if Trout came to New York and said, I'm going to team up with Mr. Judge and go win a title for New York, or I'm going to go to Philly and go win a, win a title for Philadelphia. So I don't blame him.
2: And here's the thing right look at a player real quick mike i said like you brought up play back in the day ichiro suzuki was probably one of the most exciting players in baseball we knew that he was never going to get an opportunity after that collapse yeah. seattle had that one year where they should have won best best team in baseball after that you kind of had the feeling it's never going to come around again for him right mm-hmm. and it's almost like what you're saying there is that a player with that much star appeal and presence should have an opportunity to kind of have that shot at winning a ring it, it wasn't that way before right there was a lot more loyalty right it wasn't just jumping or jumping ship for that ring but i feel now all of us kind of validate that like hey you know what like you tried for 10 years you didn't complain for 10 years maybe it's time that you have that opportunity because it's not happening with the tr- projected path of your team now mike wh- where's your head at with this so um
0: a few different points and i think you guys made some great points there um for the lineman thing and touch on that real quick in that I can tell you from personal experience, the two best offensive lines that Eli Manning ever had was during the 07, 08 and 11, 12 seasons. And what did they do both of those years? And I'm not bringing it up because, you know, I'm a giants fan and I like it. No, it's just my personal example (laughs) where, they like, uh, like John said, <laughs> okay, maybe I am a little bit, but it's because they have been, they've been absolutely terrible since. Um chicken uh, he, He's the savior. <laughs> I hope. But uh, to John's point, like he said, if you don't have a good offensive line, you will not be a champion. No. Two best offensive lines he had were his championship years. Besides that, he was run for his life. It's amazing. Yeah. I we were as I can speak of Giants fans. We were all amazed that he played as many consecutive games for the Giants as he did because he was just running for his life. And Eli can't run, so <laughs> that's a bad run for your life. Uh, but yeah, to the by the way the uh, the Mike Trout thing, his spinal stenosis. It's the same thing that ended up forcing David Wright to end, have to retire. Um, hopefully, it does not get as bad as David Wrights did because at one point, from what I read. Wright was told by doctors for this to not become a major problem, you can play at most twice a week. Yeah. Which in the heat of baseball season, when you're playing six to seven times a week, it's you can't, that's not a viable career.
1: But that's a great example right there that David Wright committed to the Mets instead of going and get a ring right. in his final years of being a great ball player. So why are, and you see it more in baseball, but you don't mm-hmm. now you're starting to see the trend move. And then yeah. NFL is kind of flip-flop. NBA is more of a player's own league where players can go and ask for trades and have all these no trade clauses mm-hmm. where the NFL is different. They'll trade, they'll drop, they'll you know, right. I've never seen it like that before. So it's just like do you commit? I don't fault these players for moving. Everyone blames KD. Right. I don't. Why wouldn't you want to go? If your goal is to win a championship, okay, cool. Go win a championship. Right. I mean, why wouldn't you team up? You know, LeBron did it with D Wade and Chris Bosh, right. who should have been mellow. But you know, like that's that's my that's my uh, that's my take on it. I just think that you know we're trying so hard to like force these players into like they need to be committed to these teams. It's like, do they really? I don't think they need to be committed. I mean, they commit their you know everything, and then the treat the team goes and trades away role players and everything.
0: Yeah, I and I and that's kind of where my head was at. Was I was looking, kind of thinking back on like the history of the different sports leagues, and you know how things have progressed. When free agency, the advent of free agency in professional sports, changed the game completely mm-hmm. as far as the way things were because when, before that, and you look at especially baseball, guys just resigned. It was just a negotiation <laughs> in the off as to how much they were getting paid, not where they were playing.
2: Or if their contract expired, they could move. They right? could move if yeah. the
0: team if the team wanted to let them go. Yeah, but then it was a weird negotiation. I'm not actually our, our guest may be able to tell us a little more, being he's in the profession. But um, it, it was a weird negotiation where it wasn't like an open market. So that became an open market. Then there was the advent of more trades. More trades were happening. I think as you look at sports going in, especially like the eighties and nineties guys just started getting moved when teams were, because it started becoming more of a business. Then we had the advent of no trade clauses and no movement clauses and, you know, stipulations and incentives on contracts and all that. And it just became, I think for sports, it became progressively, it's become progressive, progressively more of a business for management. Well, I mean, but like the way for players, for players, yeah, I mean. it was their profession. Now it's they have to make business decisions. Well, think of it this the way, Mike. If you don't have
2: an agent representing you, look what's happening to them all. So Mark, as a, yeah. as an athlete, you're not ever thinking about representing yourself now because you need a professional right. person who knows how to negotiate a contract. Need for the you the businessman. Has, has the business acumen to do right. that, has the knowledge and has the connections to know the right, right people to talk to. So he's not hearing BS, right? He's he's, he's in good with the right people to feed his client information that's valid and not just BS the client either. Now we know a lot of the shifts happen because of agents. And we look at some of the most famous agents in history who really shifted the game based on contracts that they demanded for players that we saw as astronomical in one moment of time where it's almost an average contract right now in baseball and the NBA. And more than ever now, hockey players are still the most underplayed pro athletes in the, in the universe, but some of them are getting paid now. Some of them are getting. And and they
1: statistically take the biggest hits. It's it's, it was a a sports science was done this year that hockey players hits are two times harder than an NFL hit. That's, that's facts. And to think about it, they're, they're, and it, but it all goes back to putting fans in, this, in the crowd. I think hockey's yeah. at an all-time high for that, mm-hmm. and, they're, and they're really doing a great job, which I've <laughs> – like when I went to the Tampa Bay Lightning game, it made me a fan because it Last was just electric. It's electric. About. It's mm-hmm. better – I mean, you go to the Buccaneers, they still got a lot of people. Then you go across the Bay to the, the Rays, and it's like, you know, the only reason why is because it's so far away. It, but it's good baseball,
2: right? Yeah, you know, baseball, so, but the experience. The experience just – it tears right. Down. Right, exactly, and you know then like that's you're in Boston, and you're in Fenway, and you're watching a Bruins game, and you're in a Pats game. I mean, like the experience is high, right? See, like in a right. lot of cities, it's a high sustainance of an experience.
0: Well, look at look at the same sport in one city. Mm. 2015, Yankees and Mets are both in in different boroughs of New York City, right? Mm-hmm. It wasn't, from my recollection, it wasn't until like September when it was clear the Yankees weren't doing well like weren't really going to make the playoffs and the Mets were pushing, you know, to make a big run that the Mets were the main topic of baseball conversation in the city. Yeah. The Mets, Mets jet, Mets jets islanders. No, no, it was it was more how bad the Yankees were than how good the Mets were.
1: on Nick's at the time, too. But it was yeah. funny too, because like no matter what, everyone had still talked about how bad the Yankees were more than they talked about how exactly. good how good the Mets how, were. How like, the we're, Mets were. No, I remember we're, turning on the TV and I'd be like, damn, we're talking about the Mets, they're about to make a world series. But, but hey,
2: but let's get back to even that point, right? Wasn't that because you guys were missing that star? Like, wasn't that, like, was that point where the team was going jeter, through a lot jeter of
1: like, jeter, jeter, jeter right. mo and everybody that all the old guys right. from the old team just retired, and you yeah. know we were, uh, we the Yankees were were just no 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 we you know like we're no. on a rebuild phase, and you know yeah. obviously a rebuild phase takes. Sports fans are the most impatient fans in the world, and they they want to win now, and I get we get it because we're fans, right? But a rebuild te- it typically takes some time, right? So
0: yeah,
2: yeah, but. Well,
1: they're
3: Our not, guests
2: coming up we'll know more of that about us and i can't wait to you. ask him some of these questions but just to reel it back in right the, the question here is do we think players should be criticized for it that's where we're going from right and i agree no Tom, i don't think players no. should be criticized the nature of the game now the way we've gone tv contracts mean more than anything to the team and the owners than the players themselves i think at this point because that's how they can really front the bills i mean look we really have to look at how much an owner has to dish out the payroll is ginormous the sustainance of and maintenance of the facility of ginormous it's on their back to make sure that they're putting heads in, in the stands as much as possible, especially if they do have rights and ownership to yeah. that particular stadium. So there's a tremendous amount that goes in much more than just managing the sports team. And we kind of have to look at, like we see it as the biggest thing because we see this team played in this arena and think, Oh, that's what it's all about. But no, that arena is about booking events, bringing other star artists in there, like really trying mm-hmm. to put more heads in the seats or butts in the seats than, than, than ever before at this time, because of all the, you got comedians selling out arenas and all sorts of stuff like that. So this, they really are a smaller piece than we think to a lot of teams. And that's not to undermine the player. It's just to talk about the importance and and the role that a GM and an owner play in having to sustain so much more than just the organization itself in the examples that we're thinking of right now. So I definitely don't think any player should get criticism for this. Mike, what do you think? I agree. No, I I totally agree.
0: I totally agree. I, I, yeah, they, they shouldn't, it's, you know, it's the business of it. It's like, and as fans, we don't really want to have to see the business of it, but it's just how it is. And I, if I was in their shoes, I would probably be doing the exact same thing. So I I can't fault them at all. But guys, I think it's time to introduce our guest for the evening. He's entering his 34th season with the Rochester Red Wings and 28th as general manager of the AAA Washington Nationals affiliate, the Rochester Red Wings, my hometown team. He's a hometown boy from Rochester. Ladies and gentlemen, Mr. Dan Mason.
3: Lifer himself. How are we doing, guys?
0: What's Dan,
3: man, how's it going? All right.
1: How's it going so far? It's going great, man. Can't awesome.
3: wait to uh, – well, other than the Wings just dropped the game to Syracuse, everything is going all right.
0: Oh, Syracuse. Good day, day. Good day The hey, that's-
1: Syracuse Mets. Well, I'm sorry, but that's my hometown. That's my hometown team, but it's not my my favorite team. So
3: don't there worry, Dad. I'm going to start
2: off where you say a Game against is, was it? Where, where was that game played?
3: Uh, I was in Syracuse tonight.
2: So, uh, so when the conditions are hopefully favorable, is this the least favorite time for players because they're just kind of waiting for it to officially start? A, we want to play in summer weather. Like, yeah. is it just kind of bearing with the start of the season until the, the conditions are favorable for fans and players?
3: For sure. Yeah, yeah. April's a tough month for, uh, for baseball, for, for everybody, right? It's, mm-hmm. it's harder to, to draw fans when it's, you know, 40 or even 50 <laughs> yeah. degrees, you know, yeah. uh, or 30 degrees. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's, the, you know, the game is definitely meant to be played in the summertime when it's a beautiful summer night and, uh, warm and you can sit there in a t shirt and a pair of shorts and, have your favorite beverage, and a Zweigel's hot dog. Nothing like
1: it.
0: There is nothing nothing like a Zweigel's hot dog.
1: So, Dan, we had a topic a few weeks ago talking about baseball and, like, talking about how, you know, pushing it back, you know, to, like, more in the May time, to your point, being more of a weather-friendly game. So would that be uh, in favor for you, like, to have it more start in May? and go to the end of the season to shorter the season, make it a little bit more competitive, but also like get those attendance in the seats.
3: Well, I don't know. I mean, it's, uh, you know, our job is to prepare the guys for the, for the major leagues. And because they start, you know, in late March, that's, that's when we're going to start so that they have a pool of players to, to choose from. Um, should somebody get hurt or should somebody not be performing to the level that they feel they need to be. So, you know, I get it. I get it why we start this early. It's just, it's uh, we kind of take our lumps as a, as an organization um, this during April we know it's going to get better. And uh, you know, but, but occasionally you'll get a, a stretch where you get 60 or 70 degrees and fans you know, then they come out on those days. So uh, it, it all kind of balances out um, and evens out in the long run. Uh, we have 75 home games over the course of the season, so you're gonna uh, you're gonna get some days where the weather's not so good and not gonna be your friend, and then once in a while, Mother Nature comes through for you and, and gives you a beautiful day, a, a day that baseball uh, really thrives on. Nice. All right. Awesome.
0: So. I wanted to ask you the first question. I have have a bunch of questions I thought I'd ask you, but the first one I wanted to ask you was kind of a general one. What made you want to be a GM? What made you want to get into the front office work in baseball and, and have that be your profession?
3: Well, I think, um, you know, when I was in a senior in college, you know, it's uh, and your, your parents are um, helping you out to get through college. And they kind of say, okay, now, what's your end game, man? Uh, you know, so my senior year, you know, it was, uh, I used to have hair kind of like grandpa Jay there. <laughs> and, uh, first semester time to get a haircut and, uh, and I go on a bunch of interviews and, you know, at that point I, I didn't get any of those jobs. And I thank my lucky stars looking back that I didn't because I was just trying to find a job instead of trying to find something, um, that I would love to do. And I was at that point, after I had led the league in rejections, um, <laughs> you know, it was time to sit down and figure out what do I really want to do? And I kept coming back to, you know, I wanted to go, I wanted to get a job where I could go to work every day and have fun and be happy. And I kept coming back to things I enjoyed and, and sports was the, the constant in my life that, that I just loved, you know, um, love playing sports, love going to games with my buddies and my, my family. And uh, so, you know, in Rochester, as you know, Mike, we have the, at the time we had the Amherst and we had the Red Wings. Uh, So, you know, spring break came along and all my friends who had jobs went, you know, skiing and I came home to shovel my parents' driveway and (laughs) uh, figure out what I was going to do for the rest of my life. And uh, so I interviewed with the Amherst and the Red Wings and uh, the Red Wings offered me an unpaid internship. So you can Imagine how psyched my parents were when I told them I got a job making nothing and uh, have to live at home and, you know, uh, drive their car and eat their food. And mom, best of all, you still get to do my laundry, which is really super awesome. Um, but oh, yeah. it's just, the, you know, if you want to work in this industry, you, you know, doing an internship is paramount. Um, so but I knew from being on the job at, at, with the Red Wings back at 500 Norton Street at our old ballpark. I knew after doing that for about two, three months, that this is really what I wanted to do. Um, And I I love doing it for the team that I grew up going to games at and and falling in love with baseball uh, at. So uh, I feel very blessed and very fortunate to to
2: have uh, worked for the Wings all these years.
3: Guys, we got Dan Mason
2: on. Uh, Thank you so much for being with us this evening. If you guys are just joining us, it's an honor to have you on. I see some really cool memorabilia in the background. Tell us a bit. I can't really see with the black, white, white lights, but are there some of your biggest influences as to why you're in this position now?
3: Yeah. I think, you know, right here. Yeah. Right there. Yep. is my mentor. That's Joe Altobelli. Um, so Alto was, mm-hmm. um, he's Rochester's Mr. Baseball. No. And, uh, you know, he met, he played here. He coached here. He managed here. And, um, you know, was the most uh, successful manager in the history of our ball club. And then went on to a great career in the major leagues as a coach and a manager for the San Francisco giants and the 83 world series champion, uh, Baltimore Orioles um, with Cal Ripken and Eddie Murray and, and many other great, um, great names. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, but Alto came back here. He'd worked for Don Zimmer on uh, Don Zimmer's staff at the Chicago Cubs. And when Zim got let go, um, Alto came back here and worked as our general manager and really helped, uh, Naomi Silver and, and, uh, and the rest of our board of directors, uh, with a push to get a new stadium, which we desperately needed at the time. And we're playing here now. Um, so, but he was, he was a, a guy in baseball that really, you know, uh, taught me the baseball side of things and also how to manage people. I've never met a better manager of people in my life than, than Alto. So I would say he was, he's one of the, you know, aside from my parents, one of the biggest influences in my life um, and certainly in my professional life. So got a nice, uh, a great uh, painting of him hanging in my office and uh, reminds me every day how lucky I was to work for
2: him. Tell us one thing that really stuck with you that he said to you, where like up to this day, you could just hear him say, it. like you almost hear the words coming out of his mouth.
3: Sure. I think the one thing that he's, he used to always say is what's right is right. And I know that's a very simple thing, but um, you know, when you're having a kind of a conflict and you're trying to figure out what the right thing to do, you know, eventually I think it, it becomes clear to you, you know, and, or if you're thinking like, ah, yeah, maybe I could do this and, you know, kind of get away with that that you don't do that. Right. Mm -hmm. You got to do the right thing. And sometimes it's hard. Sometimes you, You've gotta you know you gotta own up to your mistakes or you have to you know say something that might hurt somebody's feelings but um, but what's right is right is something that I that I live by
2: yeah, I'm a head coach and just tonight I, I drew a diagram where I did a squiggling line and then I did a straight line and I said when I give you guys sets and I say do this or this I'm just looking to see who's taking the easy road and who doesn't mind taking the one that looks like this when we make difficult choices we get better at making difficult choices yeah and So i kind of put put it out there for athletes as supposed to tell them what to do and i kind of have them seek their own journey in that moment it's so interesting that i always hope that the higher percentage takes the difficult road and i know that i'm becoming a better coach when eventually it does sway that way but it's patience and it takes time yeah. Right? you like you've been in this role for so long Do you feel like the time that you've spent in this role has allowed you to be able to manage people better and it could only come with having this amount of time and space in one given organization to be this good in your job?
3: I think you, you know, like anything that you do over time, you get better at it. But I think it's also you learn every day, you know, like when I first started out in this job, you know, the people that were working with me were my age or slightly younger. Um, I didn't always look like this. Um, you know, I used to, I used to have great hair just like you, grandpa. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, you know, now the, the people that work with me are much younger than me and they're at, you know, I'm at a different phase in my life and they're at a different phase in their lives. You know what I mean? So I try to harken back on my experiences when I was, you know, their age, whether, whether it's, you know, 40 or 30 or, or 25 or 23. And try to help guide them just how my my bosses and my mentors guided me during those times in my professional life. And I and I think you you know it's important to take um, to take a vested interest in your employees' uh, personal lives too. Not to pry, but you know just make sure they're doing all right at home. And um, that's you know you know we we want people that are happy to be here. Um, and I work for, you know, the the best boss ever, Naomi Silver, and she has created this really familial, uh, environment for all of us to work in. Um, so it's my job to kind of, um, you know, keep that ball rolling and, and make sure the people that work for me feel the same way and that they can come to me with all kinds of issues, not just things about tickets or, or advertising sales or whatever, you know,
1: um, I want to make sure everybody's doing good at home too. Definitely. That's awesome. So, so one one thing you met, you hit on is that you're you're managing, you know, getting the players ready, you know, during the season, ultimately to compete in your in Triple A, but also if the major league team needs a player or or whatnot. What's the difficulties behind that? Because players could be called up. You know, from what my knowledge is players get called up probably all the time and sent back and and whatnot. What's the most difficult? thing, trying to run a team that you're trying to have success and win a championship at the end of the day, but also you're trying to help the big league team win a championship as well. <clears throat> yeah, sure. And, and
3: first I should probably preface this answer by saying that, um, my job as a general manager, as a minor league, minor league general managers is completely different than a major league general manager, right? The major league GM is focus is, uh, building a great team on the field. Um, and then, uh, you know, creating a good farm system. My job as and all minor league general managers uh, in baseball, our job is to really oversee the business side of the, the minor league operation and make it fun for fans like what you guys were talking about before I jumped on is is uh, making it a, a, an experience, right? So our job here in the front office, really, and, and my job, is to make sure that when you, your family, your friends, when you come to a game here at Innovative Field, that you have fun, it was worth your time and worth your money. If Mm -hmm. you stink, it's not my fault, okay? I have nothing to do. (laughs) Uh, I I can't control what happens on the field. And I say that jokingly. Um, And we're very fortunate to have a great partner in the Washington Nationals. They supply us with all our players, all our coaches. I don't make – I can't sign free agents. I can't. Make any player personnel decisions okay. whatsoever. All that is dictated by the front office of the Washington Nationals. Uh, having said that, you know it's it's a very important part of our job to make these guys as comfortable as possible um, while they're here in Rochester and help them along on their journey uh, to becoming, you know, the next major league baseball star. And so it's it's important for us to have a good relationship with the players. But we can't decide who comes and goes um, and if we're having a tough season. You know, really nothing we can do about it other than try to make lemonade out of lemons and make it still fun for fans. And, and you know, in minor leagues, minor leagues are a little bit different in that, you know, the major leagues, uh, the play of the team comp- has a really, really, really big impact on the attendance. Right. Unless you're in a market that it doesn't, you know, doesn't matter. Um, you know, they're going to draw no matter what, uh, um, but in the minor leagues, you know, the play of the team certainly helps if you're winning, but at the, the bottom line, most of our fans are coming out for the entertainment experience, the fireworks or Milo, the bat dog, or, um, you know, post-game concert by the RPO. And mm-hmm. our job is to, we have 75 games a year and we try to throw 75 different themed parties and give fans a reason to come out to a game, whether they like baseball or they don't like baseball. I don't get why somebody wouldn't like baseball. I really don't. Right, But but there's people out there, and we need to give them incentive to come out, and that's what we do. Uh, We make it fun for fans, whether the team wins or loses. I could call most people up and ask them the next day, you know, who hit the game-winning home run or who the winning pitcher was. Most people wouldn't be able to tell me. If I asked them who our mascot was, they would definitely say it's Spike.
1: Everybody loves Spike.
3: And those are the kind of things they remember. Or if I said, What'd you, what were you doing in the fifth inning? They'd say, well, I was in line to get a, get a plate or get a, you know, get his waggles red hot with Rochester meat hot sauce. Nothing like it, man. Or, uh, you know, their favorite ice cream, whatever. Mm-hmm. People remember those kind of things yeah. about their experience here. And so that's really our job is is to make it fun for fans, but make no doubt about it. We want to win too, man. It's, it's really, it's really, it makes it more fun for the fans. Certainly makes it more fun for us coming to the ballpark every day when your team is, when your team is on a roll is, is nothing like it. It's, it's really fun.
2: So that means a lot of your community partnerships are intertwined with people who are entertainers themselves. Are you guys always seeking people out there who uh, are, are great, whether it be a great artist or a great DJ or something, is that really what you guys are trying to do is build those relationships in the community to create those 75 different experiences. That's really what you and your team are sort of driving is to build those connections and relationships.
3: Yeah. We try to be woven into the fabric of our community, um, mm-hmm. and be a great community partner, whether it's with not for profits or whether it's for schools, mm-hmm. you know, a lot of schools come out and do the anthems. Uh, you talk about artists, right? Uh, so mm-hmm. it's school bands or, um, you know, we have big little league parades where mm-hmm. kids get to go ra- around, walk around the field. Uh, it's a big thrill for people just to walk on that field. A lot of people don't get that experience. Right. Um, every Sunday, we r- kids get to run the bases with spikes and mitts. <laughs> That's
1: awesome. Fast- That's cool.
3: That's, you know, so our job, again, is really creating memories for fans, yeah. um, lifelong memories, and building fans of the future. You know, kids come out and get autographs or they run the bases or they high-five our mascots. They want to come back and it, and it gets them into Red Wings baseball. And that's what we try to do. We try to cultivate, you know, uh, future generations of fans while also, um, you know, if you're, if you're a dad or a mom and you see how happy your kids are having a great time out here, that makes you really happy. So um, sure. try to build those great, you know, family memories.
1: For sure. And, that, and speaking on that, some of the fondest memories I have is my dad taking me out of school on opening day at the chief, well, what was the chief's, um, and going to the ballpark on opening day, and it, like you said, it was 30 degrees sitting there bubbling, like
0: eh. <laughs> <laughs> <Baseball. laughs>
1: yeah. yeah. those are great memories. So, yeah. like, that's awesome. Yeah. Uh, thanks for clarifying that, too. By the way, you know, we were wondering, like, yeah. you know, what kind of uh, operations do you have with the, with the team and and stuff. So, that's really awesome to um to know.
3: Yeah. And yeah. Then we work, like I said, we work very closely, you know, uh, you know, I talked to our manager constantly during the season and, you know, work closely with the players to get them out into the community to do appearances mm-hmm. at schools or going to the hospitals or some of our corporate partners. So it's not like we don't have anything to do with the players. I don't want you to, I don't want to give that impression. We work yeah. very closely right, right. with uh, the umpires and the managers of both teams to, uh, to make sure the game gets played that's the most important part of the entertainment experience. And, um, and and we realize that, and we we still want to take great care of the players and make sure they're happy. You know, that's, that's really important. Um, um, Make sure they're happy, make sure that they have great memories of playing here as well.
2: I guess there's like a paradox of fortunes where when a big league player who everybody hopes doesn't get injured, obviously a lot of them go into the AAA system to get themselves, you know, baseball ready again. Do you guys have to segue when those things happen and say, "Hey, well, this big name is at some point going to be coming up here"? Like, do you now have to plan and 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 almost re-strategize around that because you didn't expect this to happen in that given year? And obviously, it's for your fortune, right? Because now the fans get a better experience.
3: Yeah, I mean, we we uh, we always welcome uh, any major league player that wants to come out, uh,
2: and sometimes
3: it's guys on the other team too, right? I mean. Mm-hmm. Um, Jonathan, you're a you're a Mets fan. It's not, well, Syracuse Mets fan. I'm a Syracuse
1: because that's where I'm from, born and raised. But, but at, you're all Yankees, all, all right. Yankees.
3: Well, so I'll, I'll tell you guys a couple of guys that have been here. Like El Duque played here against awesome.
1: us on oh, wow. his way
3: up. Hideki Rabu made uh, his first AAA appearance here. It was one of the biggest crowds we've ever had in the history of this ballpark. Uh, wow. You know, I know he didn't work out. Uh, to have a great career with the Yankees, but he was a huge deal. He was really one of the bit, the, the first big um, Japanese stars uh, to play here in the States, and he got a lot of money from the Yankees, and we were his first stop. So, you know, that, that night alone was, uh, I mean, it was just incredible. Uh, Andy, Pettit, Andy Pettit pitched here. Um, on a rehab appearance. And that, again, was one of the biggest crowds we ever had. Um, And and certainly we've had, you know, we had Steven Strasburg pitch for us here Mm -hmm. last year. And that was really that he really helped draw a lot of fans for us. So, you know, never like to see a guy get hurt. um, But always, uh, you know, it's it's, it's just cool for the fans when you see a, a big name come down here and play at the A level instead of playing in a 40,000 seat stadium, they're playing in a 10,000 seat stadium and you can get close to the guys uh, here. You can get good pictures. You can literally lean over the bullpen and, and uh, you know, practically get a selfie with the guy. You can't really do that kind of stuff in a major league ballpark. Right. And so I think that's one of the allures um, and, and a lot of our fans don't get the opportunities that it's not every day that our fans get to go to, Major league games, you know, you got to drive three hours or four hours or five hours to favorite team. So, um, so it's always cool to see some of those big names uh, come down, play for us or or
2: against us. You think it makes them feel like that kid again, where they get the bigger picture? All of a sudden, they kind of like back in that environment and kind of yeah. I,
3: I think you know most of the guys that come back here that that do those kind of you know that play. Um, they have, they take responsibility for taking care of those guys. They'll usually buy them a post game spread, you know, um, That's cool. do something nice for those, for the younger guys. Cause they cool. know that they were in the same spot. Everybody, everybody's in the minor leagues, uh, at some point, you know what I mean? Yeah. They're right. They're making the long bus rides or they're, they're doing all the things that to hone their craft. You know, not everybody was a, a huge star right off the bat. That's the big difference between baseball and a sport like basketball or football. You know, you go roll from college to the NBA or, uh, or the NFL. In baseball, you can be the best player in, in college baseball, and it may take you four years to get to the big leagues or longer, you know. Um, so it's not it, – it's a lot harder to get good enough to play at the major league level yeah. um, in this sport than just about any other sport.
1: Yeah, I find that I find that very interesting. We talk about this a lot on the show is that one thing that hockey and and uh, baseball have is is that trio of, you know, minor league system to build up a player and get them ready, not only to be, you know, eligible on the field and ready to go on the field professionally, but also um, how to ha- handle themselves as a professional, how to do handle different, uh, like you said, media appearances where you take them out in the community, those type of things. Um, so I think that's really great. Mike, I think you had a question. I'm sorry.
0: Yeah, no, no you're good. Um, before I ask my question, there was one thing I wanted to point out, which I don't know how familiar with them you would be, Dan, but uh, this is my Uncle Mike. And so... His grandparents, my great grandparents, Anthony and Violet Gizzy, and my great aunt, great uncle, yeah. and cousin, Julie Joe and Neil Argento, yeah. all worked in the ticket booth. Yeah, so for sure. A little, a little familial <laughs> connection to the Red Wings for me. Yeah. Nice.
2: Yeah.
3: yeah. Legends.
2: <laughs>
0: I appreciate you saying that. Yeah, that means a lot. Um, so, my question you had said that uh, you got you guys have a great partner right now in the Washington Nationals. Mm -hmm. And one thing, when I was kind of doing some research on your career and your time with the Red Wings, I noticed, so you've been with them, correct me if I'm wrong, you've been with the organization through the Orioles, the Twins, and the Nationals. Correct. So my question that came up to me about that is, what's that like? What's it like going through an affiliation change and kind of the whole process of that?
3: Um, Well, it's been kind of different. Each time it's been a little... uh... The, you know, different. I mean, back when we were with the Orioles and we were with the Orioles for 42 years and, you know, really, uh, they were a phenomenal organization. They were the, the organization that everybody tried to do things, tried to emulate them. They tried to do things the Oriole way. Um, and then, you know, uh, changes happen in organizations and, and we, you know, uh, we had some pretty lean years with the, the Orioles at the end. Um, I'm not bashing them. I'm not just, we just didn't win a lot of games, and our fans got really frustrated. And uh, so we, you know, in uh, 2002, back then, the way that it worked was you could um, uh, look around. Uh, either the major league team could look around uh, if they weren't happy with their AAA affiliate or any of their affiliates, and also the AAA team could look around, and we had uh, an opportunity to um, have about a ten-day window where you can, you know, talk to to another team, and then decide if you want to go back to your former partner or go with somebody new. And at the time, um, you know, we just felt like we it was in the best interest of the club of our ball club to, to try something different. And that was a really tough decision. Like I said, we were with the Orioles for many, many, many years and mm-hmm. some great years. And, um, but, but our fans have become really you know, frustrated. And uh, so we decided to go with the twins and we had a great partnership with the twins for um, geez, 19 years. And then COVID hit and then major league baseball took over COVID and they really, just said, okay, we're not going to be doing that where teams can become free agents almost. Um, instead, they are going to assign uh, affiliates uh, to each Major League team. And obviously, they're going to work closely with the Major League affiliates to make sure they're happy. Uh, yeah. So, the Twins ended up with uh, St. Paul became a, a, a AAA affiliate. Mm-hmm. Um, at that point, you know, they're 15 minutes from target field it made you know we had a great relationship with the twins but you know that that's just it's just too easy for them proximity uh, be affiliated with with somebody and and travel is one of those things like that they're trying to um, keep a close eye on with their players and, and I get it uh, so they ended up with uh, St. Paul and, and we ended up with the Nationals and the Nationals were formerly in Fresno California so they would call a guy up and it would take them you know, right. didn't have to get there. So it, it was just not a, a great fit for the Nats. Um, but I think, you know, both sides would say now that we're, we're very happy to be partnering with each other. and awesome. um, It's a good organization. It's an organization on the rise. You know, when we started our first year with them, I think their farm system was ranked 28th or 29th, and now they're ranked 10th.
1: That's uh, awesome.
3: A lot of great players. You know, the Soto trade last year that they made, they got a lot of great players out of that. And uh, some of those guys will be rolling through Rochester here at the end of this year and, and next year and even the year after. So we're very excited about uh, seeing some of those guys. And, you know, that's one of the cool things about seeing a Red Wings game is you never know who's going to be the next Cal Ripken or um, Francisco Liriano or Dennis Martinez or Kurt right. Shelton or Mike Mussina. Wow. Yeah. You know, you, could be, you could come out here on any given day and see a Hall of Famer at the plate, but you'd never know it. I tell people all the time that, they, you know, they don't even believe me that Derek Jeter played in Rochester in nineteen ninety-five. And I'm right. like, yeah, he did. And they say, well, you guys must have been packed. You must have been sold out. I'm oh, like, yeah. <laughs> no. uh, because it wasn't
1: Derek Jeter wasn't Derek Jeter yet. Right, right. <laughs> they, don't, they don't hate up the first round picks uh, as much <laughs> as they do in football
0: and basketball yeah. and stuff
1: like
3: that. Because there's,
0: especially then there's forty rounds. Yeah. yeah. Yes. So
3: it's, it's different, you know what I mean? So mm-hmm. a lot of the guys that are here, people don't don't know, not as many people know who they are right. uh, until they come become big stars. And right. uh, oh, he
0: but, played in Rochester.
1: Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah, have you ever been starstruck? I I, I wanted to ask <laughs> as a being a GM, have you ever like come across like oh that's that's so and so like come across a player or anybody, anybody like that you've come across that. In in uh, professional ranks or celebrity ranks, uh oh. I mean meeting Joe Montana was like, dude, oh, like, yes. uh, <laughs> a childhood
2: hero, my
1: childhood hero, man. <laughs> I can, like bumbling words like, uh, uh, "How's it going?" <laughs>
3: yeah, it is, it is, yeah, that Very that cool. I would say I was, you know. So my dad went to uh, Notre Dame, and I, I oh, see. Awesome. Is that a Michigan M, or is that a McQuaid M? Oh, yes, it is. That's a Michigan M. <laughs> <boys. laughs> All right, Dan. All right. <laughs> I
1: got, I got three shirts You know that
3: football top. fan is up north up there. <laughs> I can talk to Mike and Grandpa Jay, but Jonathan, I, I'm sorry. I'll leave. I'll go watch the Frozen Four. Uh, <laughs> I, I wish we were playing in it. Uh, yeah. But anyways, um, yeah. so my dad, you know, went to ND and – and uh so as any Notre Dame fan will tell you, you have to brainwash your kids. That's one of the best things about being a being a dad. And uh, so uh I was born and raised in Leprechaun diapers. So yep. getting to meet Joe Montana, see like I was a huge Joe Montana fan when he played at ND before he went on to be become a 49ers uh star, you know. So um so meeting him was a was a huge thrill and and that's you know it's definitely one of the, the great things about my job is um, and anyone that works here, we get to meet a lot of really cool people, um, you know, athletes and, you know, met Stanley from the office. That was a pretty big deal.
0: Yeah, wow, <laughs> big game. That was a big game. I remember that.
3: Yeah. So, uh, you know, getting to meet uh, that, that's, I guess you would say one of the perks is, is, uh, is you get to, to meet some of these people, but also, you know, getting to know some of these guys as more than just number 25 or number 16 they're they're people just like you and me and um and and they're really good good guys with interesting backstories and it's really cool to get to know them as people and then uh you know seeing them playing out out here at innovative field one night and then the next night you turn on sports center and you see them making a great play um for the Nats. it's it's a really that that's a really
2: it's a cool cool feeling for sure Help us out with our debate right here. Best player in baseball today is right now? Right now. Best player in baseball today. Best player in baseball today. You can guess who
3: Mike and I well, think I, <laughs> would say, I would say that I would say Otani. Um, you know, because he's he can you know he's one of the best pitchers and he's also by the way one of the best hitters in the game. Oh well, yeah, yeah. So okay. I mean I, I gotta I mean it's what he does is it's incredible. Is, it's amazing. But, so I mean, that that's, you know, one of the – there's so many good players right now, and they're such yeah. amazing athletes. Yeah. Oh, my God. They're bigger, they're stronger, they're faster than ever before. And mm-hmm. I think some of these new rules are really going to highlight the athleticism of, of the players in today's game. And uh, it's going to be – I think as, as the season goes on, fans are going to really um, – Embrace some of these new rules because you're going to get to see these guys um, just making incredible plays.
1: Yeah. And you've been, you've been, the minor leagues, I think, have been already adapting to those rules because the, haven't they been utilizing the pitch clock over the last few years? And some of the new rules that are in Major League Baseball were kind of tested out in the minors, I believe.
0: Is that true? Sure.
3: Yes. Okay. Um, pitch clocks and the shift rule. Um, bigger bases, you know, all that stuff. We've been having, we've had a pitch clock in AAA now for probably six or seven years. Uh, wow. And it's, and it's worked really well. And uh, I think fans in general are going to, going to enjoy it and that you'll see the pace of the game pick up and uh, just the flow of the game is going to be
2: more like how it used to be. And, and um, I, I think fans are going to really like it. Definitely. Speaking of freakish athletes, what's the talk in behind the scenes with GMs about O'Neill Cruz? What are people saying about him? Short stuff for the pirates. Yeah, playing. he's got I mean, a cannon. I mean, cannon. It's insane. Yeah, <laughs> I feel he's, sorry for his first base.
3: <laughs> yeah, he's just one of those those incredible athletes, right? Like the, the game has a bunch of guys like that right now. It's really a it's a really a great time to be a baseball fan, right? Um and hopefully, you know, a team like the Pirates, you know, they've got a couple of really good players there. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, so when you go to a major league baseball game, you're going to see at least two or three guys on on every team that just kind of jump out at you. And it, right. it, it's pretty cool.
0: Right. Yeah. So I have to touch on the Notre Dame thing as a Notre Dame fan. Again, I did some research before the show. And again, correct me if I'm wrong. You were at Notre Dame during the Catholics versus convicts game, right?
3: Yes, I was.
0: What was that like? I know we're deviating a little bit from baseball. What was that like, that that time?
3: Best sporting event I've ever been to in my life. Awesome. Yeah, it was. Uh, and uh, if you've seen the, have you guys seen the documentary? Yeah, yeah. 30 for 30, yeah. Two, two guys that I, uh, that lived in my hall, they're buddies of mine. Uh, Pat Creedon did the, he, you know, directed the, the film. And then wow. the film is really all about Pat Walsh. Walsh is, and mm-hmm. he's, they're both good friends of mine. And uh, uh, I make a very, very, very small cameo in that, in that uh, <laughs> picture. So, but the game itself was, uh, it was an electric experience. And, I'll never forget that, uh, being there, winning that game, um, because there was so much hype surrounding that game. They were number one, and we were number four. Um, the World Series that night also, that was the night that Kirk Gibson hit the ball off Dennis Eckersley. Oh, right. Oh, it was wow. It was, <laughs> it was a crazy sports night, um, crazy sports day. I'll never forget that, that day. But being in the Notre Dame Stadium, I never heard it that loud and, and never that electric. Um, than that game.
1: And you couldn't have your phone out yeah. watching both like, <laughs> no, <not laughs> like you can <laughs> not
2: have phones back then. No, yeah. Yeah. I not actually watch the entire yeah. game. Yeah. That was, <laughs> thing is a cell phone. That's how old I am. Yeah, that's,
1: I think that's the best thing about the Masters. I, I'm a big golf fan, you know, and uh out of the group here. I'm the biggest mm-hmm. golf fan. I play it all, all the time. And, you know, I think that's one thing I love about the Masters is the fact that there's no phones. And, you know, that's something I do all the time every time I go to a stadium is try to eliminate the phone and just try to – obviously now that we do the podcast, I try to do some, like, videos and stuff like that. But usually I like to be involved in the yeah, game. Even and so. The and stuff. Yeah. so. So, um, Mike, Mike, sorry, I interrupted you again. No, bye, bye,
0: no, no, no. You're good. I was going to say even so, like, we, you and I went to that Yankee game in October, uh, uh, right near the end of the year last year. And yeah, we did some stuff for the podcast, but most of all, we were just taking in the fact that, you know, we were in Yankee stadium and we were going to see the Yankees play. Like it had been, that was my first time at, at the new Yankee stadium. And that was an awesome experience. So I definitely think that that's something that sports fans always need to keep, you know, mindful of is just taking the experience
2: well dan unfortunately for me i went to the chiefs box games this year on a sunday night knowing that that was probably the last time he play a great quarterback in tampa <laughs> and i got to watch patrick mahomes do things that quarterbacks aren't supposed to do i also saw him have three incomplete passes for an entire game and i left that i left that night with my brother and looked at and said there's no way this team is going to lose a super bowl this year. there's no way this team does not finish the year with a ring The 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 level of just professionalism on every side of the ball. And the belief was, uh, I hadn't seen that. I've been, I've been to a lot of bucks, even when the Bucks were the best team in football. Watching that team play was an incredible experience for me. And sometimes sports fans don't like to say that when their home team is being absolutely schooled. And obviously watching Brady struggle in that game wasn't fun because I wanted to see a high level game on both sides of the ball. But i tell you what, man, like w- watching that guy play when you know an athlete has it, and I know you've seen it more than any of us because you've been around professional sports for a long time, that level of professionalism is just at this elevated level where you wonder how is he up here and everybody else is catching up. What are you in, in your career? What have you known, especially like saying among GM talks? What is it that gives play that one player or those two players that competitive advantage amongst each other? And talking that you guys have said, you know, some manager or, or somebody has said. Hey, this is why this happens with this guy, or this is what makes this guy stand out above the crowd.
3: Um, well, I think part of it is your intestinal fortitude, right? And I think sports, a lot of it is mental, and you have to uh, baseball, especially. You know, it's a very negative game. If you succeed three out of ten times, you're th- you're the best at what you do, and there's not many other things that you could succeed three out of ten times and be considered the best right (laughs) so it's it takes a lot of uh you know this game it beats you up it beats you up when you're you know if you're if you're you know success it's not it's not easy to have success in this game um consistently so you you know it's a very mentally uh, i think extremely challenging game so i think the best players have that ability to put an at bat behind them or put a pitch behind them and continue to go out and, you know, do what they do best. And I think preparation is the other thing is like the guys that work hard are, are, to, you know, a, a lot of the guys that we see here, a lot of the guys in the major leagues, they're talented enough to, to make it <clears throat> in the major leagues. Right. But um, it's those guys that put in the extra time uh, at their craft Uh, that really work hard at it, Um, I
2: I think those are the guys that really stand above. Uh, I know know you made a commitment years ago in his off-season program that I think made him a little bit a cut above the rest as well Mm -hmm. in terms of how he saw his preparation. I was thinking that there's a lot coming from a household with a professional parent as well, where a kid gets to learn a lot more than the average kid will without a pro parent to give you that advice Mm -hmm. as a young. You know, very enthusiastic athletes. So, it's just sure. special, special to see those kind of players in person. It's a lot different, in person. Yes. Really, a lot different to see in person. So, so Dan, I
1: have one question on the on the business side of things that you 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 did it from you know interning all the way making your way up to the higher ranks. I guess, what is your advice for you know kids coming out of college, guys like ourselves who are still passionate about sports? You know, how do you know what's your advice to those kids trying to get into a like a professional team's door or, or whatnot?
3: Yeah, I think uh, do an internship, first of all, and you, you can see what, um, you know, gain that practical experience and figure out what it is. There's a lot of different jobs within the industry and, and kind of figure out what job fits you best and your skill set best and what allows you to, um, you know, kind of combine your passion for, uh, sports with a with a passion that you might have on the on the business side it might you know if it's math and who doesn't love math but I mean <laughs> it, it might be you know work with stats you know that then you might be a good PR guy if you're a good writer be a good PR guy if you can talk to just about anybody you might be a great salesperson um, if you have an eye for fashion then you know merchandise uh, you know running a, a merchandise uh, for an operation might be a, a good way to go so um i think that and you you got to work hard i mean the hours are long and you miss you know you got to work if if your team has a a game on the fourth of july or labor day or father's day or mother's day you know which we do uh then we're we're here uh if you work in football you some years you're probably going to work on christmas or new year's eve or new year's day um you know really every sport there's you know you're going to miss out on things. So you really have to make a commitment to, um, you know, you're willing to do that if you want to do this job. Um, And then you just got to work hard and, and do the things that nobody else wants to do. Right. So when the, when the boss comes in and says, Hey, the mascot's sick today, who wants to jump in the suit for three hours, Be be the first one to raise your hand. And I've been, five or six mascots in my career. Nice. <laughs> um, and, you know, we all have. And it's, yeah. it's, you know, it's just what we've all paid our dues. And yeah. I would never ask anybody to do something I haven't done. Yeah. Um, so just go that extra mile and 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 do what needs to get done for the team and, and people will notice.
1: Yeah, I find that, you know, something that I've always – you know, sports just being around a ballpark, uh, being around anybody, anything, like right. So Mike and I were beat writers for the St. Bonaventure men's basketball team, and while everyone was on spring break, you know, wherever they were, you know, we were in Brooklyn, New York, covering the eight ten tournament, and I worked from eight a.m. to midnight, and it was it was a long day. I was exhausted, but it didn't mm-hmm. feel like a job. It felt like I was mm-hmm. just watching. Yeah, I was just watching basketball all day and just meeting with you know uh, media members and you know getting to see the Nets locker room and doing stuff like that. It's like pretty cool. It's like a, I'm I'm like a kid again. So yeah. I agree. I think that's a I think it's great advice.
0: Hundred um, percent, 100%. definitely. 100%. Well, guys, I think it's time. I believe it's time to play our little it's game.
2: My favorite time of the show, Dan.
0: It is. James Grandpa Jay loves yes. this time of the show.
2: Yes, I love it so gentlemen we have reached the point where we are going to conclude our show we are about to play our favorite game and hopefully everybody's favorite game Stump. Oh, oh, oh. all right so this is how it works we ask each other questions we wager two points on each question if we get it right we get plus two if we get it wrong we get minus two the person with the most points at the end gets the rant of the week i'm the defendant champ and i'll be, keep taking mikey down week after week here i think i'm gonna have a great april but you know what dan there's a streak where I. Guest normally ends up winning. That's so true. I have a feeling that you might take the crown this week. <laughs> 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 this evening. Don't so bet Mike, <laughs> Mike, I know you have a baseball question, so take it away. Don't,
0: how do you, I don't have, yeah, I have a baseball yeah, question. Yeah, of course. A baseball
2: question.
0: <laughs> this is one I found earlier today when we were on the phone with each other. This is one I've been holding on to for like two months when I found it, okay. just for the right opportunity, and this is it. So well, let's kick off Stump the Squad with what father-son duo ended their MLB careers with the same number of home runs? Wow. Wow. That's what a father-son, <laughs> father-son duo ended their careers with the exact same number of home runs. Is it a Jose Cruz senior and Jose Cruz junior B. Cecil and Prince Fielder. Oh. C Bob and Aaron Boone. Or D Bob and Brett Boone. You can run through them again if you'd like.
2: No, it's one of the uh-huh. boon numbers and you're trying to throw us off. Mm. Even harder. I
1: think it's Fielder, but I don't know why I want to say Fielder. Cause I I don't know, because Aaron didn't as long as he played, he didn't hit that many home runs.
0: But how many did Bob hit?
1: I mean, he hit an iconic home run, but
0: so one at least one.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I had at more. least
0: one. <laughs> I'll go with
1: D. I'm gonna go
0: with B. Okay, so mm. Jamie says Bob and Brett Boone. Mm-hmm. John says Cecil and Prince Fielder. Oh, Damn, I oh, Can run through them again if you'd like.
3: No, I think it's the. I think it might be the. Uh, I don't know, man. I, that's a tough question. I'm going to just be different and say the cruises.
0: Oh, dances the cruises. Okay. So, okay. So we got one for Bob and Brett Boone, one for Cecil and Prince Fielder, and one for the cruises.
2: Let me stump this off.
0: Gentlemen, I have successfully stumped. Dan and Jamie. It is Cecil oh, and Prince oh, Fielder.
2: And here's Uncle Mike with the fielders. <laughs> yes. I was going to say that, too. All right. Both, oh,
0: both <laughs> ended up finishing their careers, sadly for Prince, yeah. early due to injury. He was on pace to absolutely, you know, double his That's why I thought he already did. Yeah. They yeah. both ended up ending their careers with 319 home runs. Wow.
1: wow that's crazy.
0: I know, right? Good for them. And for getting it right, John, you're up next. Cool. Awesome. So, uh,
1: who was the first reliever elected to the Hall of Fame? <laughs> was it Goose Gossage, Dennis Eckersley, Roy Fingers, or Hoyt Wilhelm? Hoyt, 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 Hoyt. A lot of old schools and an obvious. I like that squeak in the background, too. That
2: makes a thinking so. So this is a trick question why they weren't letting relievers into the Hall of Fame for a long time. It is a stigma. A really trick question. So because of that and my gut thinks so I'll go with then. I'll go to Eckersley. Jamie? Hmm.
0: Good options.
2: Choose white, Mikey. You know you want to. Give you a clue about John Dan. When he says names funny, sometimes that's the right answer.
3: I think it's Hoyt Wilhelm because I know that Eckersley and uh, I know Raleigh Fingers got in before um, Eckersley and uh, who was the other one you said? Goose Cossage. Goose, yeah. He yeah. Got in before those two guys.
0: Yeah. Eckersley uh, and Goose didn't get in until like the 90s, I think.
3: I think it was actually in the. 2000s. Or really the 2000s, but so I'm gonna, gonna go
0: Hoyt. Yeah, I, I agree with you, Dan. I'm gonna go with Hoyt.
3: Okay, Raleigh may Raleigh may have gotten in before. Hoyt. Yeah, the Hoyt's older, so I'm gonna go with Hoyt.
0: Right, that's the exact same thought process. <laughs> I agree with you. I was like, mm.
1: so I've successfully stumped Jamie. It is Hoyt Wilhelm. Yeah, I knew it. See, that's the clue. I knew the clue. When he <laughs> says the name funny, that's the right answer. Actually, I didn't know how to say it. I was just. Kind of Wilhelm. like
0: pro- I was pronouncing Wilhelm. it out, like, I, I, like I was Wilhelm. Wilhelm.
1: So, all right, then you're next. So I got to come up with a question. Yep. And for it, and it could be anything. We can d- guess a number or anything. All right. What number did Cal
3: Ripken wear for the Red Wings before making number eight famous in the major oh, leagues? Wow, what a oh, point. I
1: should know this. And closest, closest to it wins, maybe? Yeah. No?
3: Sure. Well, I can do uh, multiple it choice. I guess. Yeah, multiple choice. Okay. Was it number one, four, five, or seven? Seven. See, yeah. Seven.
0: Don't guess my number. Yeah, you may notice that <laughs> I like seven um <laughs> Nicky Mantle. Uh, it's my favorite number i and normally there's been questions where seven has been an answer and i've guessed seven just because it's my favorite number and i've gotten it right because it just happens to be so happened twice on one night i think I did. um go through them again one
3: four five and seven, five and seven. Uh, four. four one, seven, Number five. Sorry, gentlemen. Uh, oh, he's stopped, he stopped the
1: squad. Stopped oh, squad. boy.
3: And now it's All Grandpa right. Jay. So well, I'll give him the baseball.